0: Welcome to Mercy Hill Church. Um, I am one of the elders here, happy to get to share the word with you this morning. Uh, My name is Nick. If I haven't met you, I would uh, always enjoy getting to meet you after the service, Uh, maybe getting some coffee or something during the week. Um, We are going to get into the Lord's word this morning. And just for those of you who are joining us for the first time, just for a few weeks, Ben, looking at uh, some of the Psalms, before in about maybe two weeks now we're going to get into the Gospel of Luke, and there we will probably remain, my guess is until 2020, that's my guess, <laughs> So, uh, and that's probably even underestimating, but there's a lot there and I'm excited, uh, but we're going we're to uh, spend another morning here in the Psalms. You can turn to Psalm 127, but uh, we're not going to read it uh, just yet few words of introduction. Actually, it's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> the psalm is kind of about how the Lord gives to His beloved sleep, right? And uh, I'm up last night at 2 a.m. looking at what I have, going, oh my gosh, I have about a two-hour sermon here. What am I going to do? Cutting and trimming and doing my stuff. I'm sitting there going, this is a little ironic, isn't it? I am I a am, uh, tired as i 'm going to preach on the Lord giving us sleep but but like the Apostle Paul right we can labor through the night even while we rest in the Lord Jesus so hopefully that hopefully that's what I'm learning to do um, it's a Sunday right and that's why we're here that's why we are what we might say at church although I don't like the phraseology because we are in fact the church wherever we are but Nonetheless, we are, you could say, at church. It is a Sunday, and we're gathered to worship. We're gathered to seek the Lord together. But we're only here maybe two hours out of our busy weeks, right? And my question is, is Sunday connected to Monday? Is what we do here connected to where we live most of our lives? When we leave this room and we go into our lives, we wake up Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever it is, by and large, where are we spending most of our time? Probably not at church, but at the office, maybe for some of us, at home for others. We're trying to provide for the kids. We're trying to raise kids or maybe at school, other places. We spend the majority of our time with what you might say work and family, right? Work and family. And my question here, um, as we kind of lay before us three of the basic institutions, three of the basic spheres of human life church or religion, work, and family my question is do they relate? Do they interact with one another? Does Sunday, in fact, connect to Monday? Is what we're doing here relevant for what we do with most days of our lives? What we have found in our culture, and even if we look at church history, um, some church traditions even will give you this, there's this tendency to separate our secular duties from our sacred ones. There's a tendency, in other words, to separate our Sundays from our Mondays. Our religion and our our religious life before God with our uh, from our work and family. And sadly, I think our experience often solidifies it. I don't know if you have experienced this or not, but... Uh, sometimes even what we experience in life, seems to kind of communicate to us that what we do on Sunday is not in any way connected to Monday. Our sacred duties are not connected to our secular ones. In fact, they're kind of opposed. If you take your work, for example, you go into work and sometimes does it not feel like it's just draining your soul? Does it not feel like, oh, I wish that I could focus on God's word. I wish that I could focus on what we were thinking about on Sunday, but I'm busy doing ones and zeros and dealing with disgruntled clientele and balancing spreadsheets or whatever it might be. So I get a little devotion in the morning, and that's nice, and then it all just gets sucked out of me by the time 5 o'clock rolls around, I'm empty again. Rather than our work seeming like an expression of our religious life, it can actually feel like our work is in opposition to our religious life, right? The same thing with family. I I mean, I feel this with, uh, with my young kids. I can tell you that right now. I don't know what it is about Saturday night. But it's like, it's just, they're going to be up. They're going to be waking up throughout the night. They're going to be doing their thing because they know daddy's preaching in the morning. I don't know how it works, but it just does. And you think, man, these little kids, they're getting in the way of my religious life, (laughs) right? Oh, I want devotion. I want quiet time. I want to get involved in church, but I'm just too busy or I'm too tired. When I finally have time, I'm ready to just, you know, crash out on the couch. Rather than our family feeling like an expression of our religious life, it can feel as if it's in fact in opposition to it. And so we might get this in our culture. We might get this idea of a separation, even in some church traditions. It might feel this way in our experience. But is this in fact God's opinion on the matter? What does the Scripture have to say in regards to Sunday and its relationship to Monday? Religion and its interaction with work and family. With that, let's go to Psalm 127. Let me read it and uh, pray and we'll we'll get us going. Psalm 127, beginning with the superscript there. Oh, and by the way, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We're happy to bring you one. Anybody? And if you want a Bible to keep or to give away, feel free to take it. Um, so there you go. It's our offer to you. Uh, psalm 127 says, "A song of ascents of Solomon," which most take to to, to mean as a a um, a psalm that was authored by Solomon. Verse one. Unless the Lord builds the house. A reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let's pray, guys. God, we come before you wanting so desperately this morning to locate the hours and hours of our lives spent with work and family to locate these things back into You. We want our work, we want our family not to be in opposition to our relationship with You, but an expression of it. I'm praying, God, that You would take our reflections on this psalm this morning and work towards that end. I need your strength. I need your help. God, we know that unless you build, unless you watch, unless you do it, nothing is going to happen. And so we're praying for the, the only definitive force in the universe, you, to be at work here in our midst by the power of your Spirit, this morning, In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Um, let me give you just a brief outline of where we're going to be headed. We're going to progress this morning through three headings. Okay, we're simply going to look. If you couldn't guess it already, we're going to look at work verses one and two, and we're going to progress into uh, reflections on family verses three through five, and then we're going to come out tracing all these lines. And seeing how they are summed up in Christ and given to us in a new way in Him. So let's uh, let's begin here with work. Verses one through two. I want to read them again. Says this: Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor it, or I'm sorry, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake. In vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, I must admit that um, I was drawn to this psalm, particularly uh, because of those first two verses. Uh, particularly because of the season I find myself in. Coming here now, maybe two months in, and I I have to be honest with you guys, I am tempted to try to build in my own strength here. I struggle in the evenings to shut off my mind. I may be trying to sleep. I might even have my eyes closed, but I'm up till 3 a.m. working in my mind, right? And I brought this up to the, the home group, and Lyndon had um, mentioned Psalm 127 to me. I'd, I'd already been thinking about that. I would love to just, we're in the Psalms, I'd love to preach a sermon on this, uh, because I'd love to re- reflect on it with you guys, and selfishly, I need this sort of stuff uh, to be running through my heart and my mind. Wonder if you relate even as we read this ah oh, up late uh, and up early and anxiety and not able to sleep or whatever it might be and, and, and laboring and laboring and wondering is the Lord in it or what's going on but well, I pray that this sermon ministers to you and this, this psalm ministers to you in the way that it has been ministering to me but as I went to Psalm 127 and I looked at those two verses and I and I was just drinking them down, you'll notice they're not the only verses in our psalm. Verse 2 gives way to verse 3, 4, and 5. And as I read this, I started thinking, I don't... I don't get how this connects. I don't know if you, if you felt that as you were reading it, but we're talking about work and building and then sleep and then suddenly we're talking about children as a heritage from the Lord and it just seems like something different is going on. And in fact, some scholars have even said perhaps these are two different poems that maybe got compiled or we, we're not sure. And I started thinking, what is the unifying factor in this psalm? What brings these two parts, work and family, the focus on the work and focus on the family together? How am I going to preach this psalm in its entirety? Because it's not just the first two verses, there's more to it. We might uh, look at Solomon's authorship here and say, okay, I can kind of see this. Solomon was the one who built the house for the Lord, right? He built the temple, And he also is the one that helped kind of build or was born into, you could say, David's line, David's house, as kind of fulfillment to promises made to him about his offspring and children that would uh, sit on the throne. So you could kind of see Solomon as a unifying factor. But I think there's something even more significant in the background of this psalm that points us in the direction, maybe what, where, where this psalm is headed, what it's hoping for, and what we're, what we're going to be doing here this morning. I think the deeper, more significant background is the creation account and the commission that God gives to Adam and Eve before the fall. Do you remember this? I mean, we go here a lot. Because I believe that the two poles of biblical revelation, what you have in Genesis and then what you see come back into play in Revelation, how, how it totally overlaps, I believe that everything in between is connected to this one overarching narrative. So what we have in Psalm 127 inevitably is going to go back to uh, Genesis 1. But I want to show you how. I want to show you how. Do you remember the story with with, with Adam? Do you remember how he was created and the commission uh, that was given? If you recall, Adam was created first, put in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work and to keep it. The word keep, actually, same uh word for what we have in our text, guard. So to work and to guard or to watch over this garden. He was put in the Garden of Eden by God to work. But it was not good for man to be alone, right? And so what does he do but create a helper for him in Eve? And we're given this statement, kind of summing up things in um, Genesis 1:27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then the divine commission in verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it all. The sense is that they were to work, okay? They were put in God's presence in this kind of sanctuary, garden paradise. They were to work here and extend its boundaries to the ends of the earth, filling it with image bearers, those children that bear the image of the Father, filling it with God's glory. The whole earth was to be a sanctuary. The whole earth was to be His temple. Now I wonder if you see it. Here we have work and family. Here we have Adam commissioned by God to work. You have the idea of of, of working the garden, keeping the garden, subduing, having dominion. And then you also have family, the idea of bearing fruit, multiplying, filling the earth. Here we have, I think, the background that holds the two parts of our psalm together. Human beings, humankind, created to work before God. And to, to do family with God. Now, let's return then to what we're looking at in um, verses 1 and 2, which in particular is this idea of work. This idea of work. With the background in Genesis 1 and 2, what do we learn about our work? What do we learn about our work? I'm going to give you four prepositions to consider, okay? Okay. Our work is from the Lord. It's God's idea. It's God's idea. We can sometimes think, right, especially depending on how your boss is or how your coworkers are, that work is no good. It's a result of the fall. In heaven we're just going to be kind of chilling out on clouds, playing harps and it's going to be lovely because there will be no work but I want you to realize something. Work was God's idea from the beginning because it's a part of God's character and His own activity. We're told that He created the earth, right? In six days, He did some serious work. And then on the seventh day, Genesis 2-3, God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. So, we who are created in the image of this working God are created to work. Work is, in fact, from Him. Preposition number two work is with the Lord. God put man in the garden and He walked with Him there, right? Work was to be something done in fellowship with our creator work was to be something we did in his presence something we delighted in doing with him kind of like we made cookies uh at <laughs> our home group for the for us to give out to the neighbors It actually went pretty well we were like oh, this could be awkward it, went, it was great but we're making cookies and who wants to help but my little daughter right chloe and so you get her up there and you know that she's going to end up, you know, doing all this and actually probably making a bigger mess than a help, but we want to work with her. We want her with us. Work for God is like that. He doesn't need us to, to extend the boundaries of his, of his earthly temple, things like that, but he wants to work with us, right? Third preposition, work is by the Lord. Our work is to be done in the strength that he supplies he 's the one that provided Adam and Eve with vitality and vigor and strength he 's the one that breathes life into them he 's the one that gives them every fruit from the tree of the, or the fruit from every tree in the garden except for one, so that their needs could be met and they could have strength to serve him. So work is from, it is with, and it is by Him. And because of all this, it is also for Him. It is to be unto His praise, His honor. When we go out and we have dominion or we subdue the earth as His image bearers, it's not an autonomous kind of self-aggrandizing uh, thing. We think of domination, that's what we think. But we are under kings, under shepherds, under priests. We are under God's authority and we are reflecting the rule and reign of our king. That's what our work is supposed to be like. We are supposed to image him. Am I losing you? Okay. Now, it gets sad because as we look closely at the first two verses of our psalm, what becomes painfully obvious is that there is now set before humanity this tragic option of working without reference to the Lord. When Adam and Eve didn't guard the garden, didn't subdue and have dominion over the creatures, but let the serpent encroach, right? They took work into their own hands, made it about themselves, and they kind of removed work from its proper context in God. And so that which was meant to be flourishing with God became vain without Him. And that's what we see if we... Look at our text. That's the word that jumps out immediately when we consider working without reference to the God who created us and made work what it is. Three times it's repeated. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. Vanity. That's what sums up man's work without the Lord. If the Lord isn't in it, it's pointless. We're like hamsters in a wheel just running and running and running but going nowhere. In fact, even if we're, we might think we're going forward, we might even be going backwards. It's vanity. You feel that sometimes. When you're trying to push for some goal you have, some, something you've set for yourself and you're going, whether God's in it or not, Vanity. It describes for us what this feels like there in verse two. feels like eating the bread of anxious toil. What a picture. There's so much there that I I had to cut out that I wanted to take you into and the language of the curse that's there even. It's incredible. But what we're given here in this idea of eating the bread of anxious toil is that sometimes we will actually eat from the fruit of our labor. Sometimes we will get to kind of enjoy. We reached a goal or something like that. And when we eat it down, we're still empty inside. There's something unsettling about it. I actually thought of Panda Express at this point. (laughs) I haven't gone there in a while because of this. But orange chicken, right? It's so good going down. And then as it says something unsettling about this. This was supposed to nourish my body and I'm pretty sure it's attacking my body at this point. Right? That's this bread of anxious. Toil. This is the man who gets that promotion he's been working hard for. Just laboring through the night to get this. And when he finally gets it, it's not all that he hoped it would be. Still feels empty. In fact, maybe even feels more anxious because now there's more responsibility. More things expected of him. This bread of anxious toil I'm eating, but I am empty we might consider the tower of babel at this point the vanity of working without the lord you remember genesis 11 humanity gets together and they want to work and they want to build but they're not doing it with reference to god they're doing it in opposition to Him. Let's build this tower to the heavens so we can make a name for ourselves. Right? What happens? God sees this and He disperses the labor. He mixes up their tongues they can't communicate and He spreads them across the face of the earth. What do we have but kind of the the reverse, the opposite kind of filling than what God intended back in Genesis 1 and 2. The filling of the earth now, not with image bearers, those who are working with reference to God, but now the filling of earth with those who work with reference to self. It's about me. And I want to make a name. And that's what this earth is filled with. Workers, people that will labor, but they will labor in vain because it's laboring without. The Lord. Now, we are in the psalm invited to come back to work as it was intended. With reference to God. It says, unless the Lord builds, unless the Lord watches, inference, the Lord is wanting to build with us. The Lord is wanting to watch with us. He is willing and wanting to work even in a fallen and cursed context, even in spite of our rebellion. Talks about what this kind of work is like when we respond to the Lord and we come and say, I want to work from, with, by, for you. You want to know what that work is described as in our text? It's a wonderful verse in, in, the, uh, in the psalm. There in verse 2, For He gives to his beloved. Wait for it. Tired people. Sleep. He gives to his beloved sleep. Laboring without reference to the Lord. Work without him. is just non-stop and going nowhere. Work with him. Even while you labor. Feels like rest. Feels like sleep. Here is an invitation for us to stop striving to be God and to start being fully, and truly human. That's what sleep is. You ever wondered why did God design human beings that would sleep away a third of their lives? Doesn't the doesn't the fit the optimizer in you, the efficiency-driven person in you, just Cringe at that? There's got to be a way. More coffee. Do yoga and do the corpse pose. And I know guys, they can get two hours of sleep like that and they're good. We can make ourselves more efficient. Why a third of our lives wasted in sleep? You want to know why? Sleep is a parable. It's a living parable that reminds us constantly we are creature. He is creator. We are not God he alone never slumbers never sleeps Psalm 121 4 that's his job we rest in light of his care we're human this text gives us permission to be human to be creatures not the creator sleep is a parable but sleep is also, therefore, a test. If it's reminding us that we are not creator but creature, how we're doing with sleep, can we shut off, can we go to bed, is a pretty good test of, of, of whether or not we are trying to push into the creator realm. The universe needs to be upheld by me. I've got to make it happen. There's no time for me to sleep. Sleep is a pretty good test. Now, I realize there are other reasons why. I've, in fact, I've talked to some of you. that you, know, you, you might not be the best sleeper. I'm not saying that that's always what's going on. But a lot of times, you've got that knot in your stomach and you're not sleeping. could be going on. Most specifically, sleep tests whether or not we are trusting in the fact that we are God's beloved. He gives to His beloved sleep. Okay? This is the dividing line. When we are unaware that we are so beloved by God, when we are unaware that we are so valued and so cared for by Him, that He desires to provide, that He loves to have us in fellowship with Him even while we work. When we're unaware of that, then what we do is we take our career and we strive for that love from another place. Maybe I'll get it from my peers and the accolades I receive from my boss, whatever it might be. I want to get that love. I want to be seen as valuable. Or there's the other side of that where if we don't know His care, you want to know what happens? We're filled with anxiety. We live like orphans even though we're in His family. i got to provide because God's not going to. If I don't make it happen, no one will. And so we labor and we work because we're not sure God's going to take care of us. But those that know they are beloved of God. Those that know they are valued and cared for, they can rest. They can rest. Career isn't a ladder to self glory. Job isn't a way of providing for your family so they don't starve on the streets and it's all your fault. We can rest in the God who values us and provides for us. We don't have to eat the bread of anxious toil. Now um, Solomon knew this kind of work. In fact, the name God gives to Solomon—I don't know if you knew this—is beloved of the Lord. It's there in Second Samuel twelve twenty-five. So Solomon, the author of our psalm, knows about this kind of resting in the love of God and doing work. I mentioned it earlier. He is the one who builds the house of the Lord, commissioned by God to this work. Unless the Lord builds, well, the Lord was building. And you want to know what happened? He brought in all the wealth that they needed to make the temple um, what it was. He, he, he gave the workmen skill by the power of His Spirit so that they could do the work. And at the end, when the temple, the house of the Lord was Built and completed. He filled it with his own glory. God was in it. It wasn't vain. God made it work. And Solomon was resting in the love of his Creator even as he worked. Now, we have to ask about our work. Um, as I was just looking at some of the statistics and things about America, it's 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 tragic workaholic nation right I so saw I put it's the no vacation nation it's not a federal regulation I think it's the only one in the industrialized world or whatever that that doesn't have a federal kind of uh, mandatory vacation uh, hours for uh, you know employees and things so we just want to push work in this culture, especially I would say uh, Bay Area in fact the statistics bore it out. This is the place where the most hours in a country that already is logging in the most hours, this is the place where we're working nonstop. And some of your companies are trying to encourage this, right? That's what I hear. I don't, I don't, I hear that they're, you know, you talk about the work-life balance kind of a thing. Well, they're trying to bring life to work, plush out the building so that there's all this food, there's even beds, there's whatever, all you can need is there. So now the office becomes home and maybe even becomes church. That's what's going on here. Let's build this kingdom, but without reference to God. And we can imbibe this sort of mentality, right? And so I wonder, how are you doing? Let's run it through the prepositions. Is your work from the Lord? Is He the one who set you to it? Work is not a bad thing, but it is when we're doing it With this anxious sense, not trusting in His love. Is your work from Him? Has He assigned it to you, as 1 Corinthians 7 would say? Have you even asked? Is your work with the Lord? This is hard. That's what I mentioned in the beginning learning the art of, of praying always, talking to God even in the midst, realizing that He cares deeply about the ones and zeros, cares deeply about the disgruntled clientele, cares deeply about the spreadsheets and wants to help and do it with you. Is your work by the strength that He, that he supplies? Are we pressing in and relying on Him? God, I can't do this. You do it for Your own glory. I pray people would see You in me as I work with integrity. And love. And is your work for him? Are you seeing your work as an offering given back to him? And doing it so that he would be made known? Are you building towers for your own name? Or are you building temples where his name dwells? Now, family. Verses 3-5. through five. I'm going to go much quicker through this, so in case you're worried, don't worry. Verses 3-5, through let's read them. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies. In the gate. Oh, it's awesome. (laughs) Now, reconsidering Genesis 1 and 2 with regards to family, I want to use, bear with me, I want to use those same prepositions again. Family is from the Lord. I don't know if you've reflected upon the wonder of family lately. We get so in the middle of it, sometimes it doesn't seem so wonderful, sometimes it does. But I wonder if you've reflected on the origin of family lately. Okay? God Himself exists in familial form, right? Triune God. What, what, what are, what are the, the, the titles we give to Him? Father, Son, Spirit. He exists in family. He exists in relationship, right? And from the kind of overflow of that family, another family emerges. Creativity. He gives birth from this relation to more, to all that we see here and to us. And we are created, male and female, in His image. The family God, we're in His image. Male and female. And when they come together in the bond of their love, what happens but an overflow of creation in children. Children. We are mirroring in our own families the triune relation of God. Family is from the Lord. It's His idea. It's good. Family is also, again, with the Lord. We were first In his family. In Luke's gospel, when he's given the genealogy, at the very end of it he says, and then there was Adam, the son of God. Implication, Adam was in the family of God. Humankind considered, in a way, his offspring, his family. Family is with him. We are a group of families within one family within God's family. Family is also by the Lord. He's the one who brought Eve from the rib of Adam, right? He's the one who brought the wife to the husband. And he's also the one who Opens the womb, we're told in the scriptures. He's the God of the womb. He's the one who brings forth children. Family happens by God's power, by God's design. It's by Him. And finally, family is therefore for the Lord. All of this was to be a part of bearing fruit and multiplying. We had the subduing and the dominion and the guarding and the keeping, and in family we have the filling of the earth, the multiplying. Cover this earth with his image. Cover this earth with God's glory. That's why family was instituted. For him. For him. But, as with work, so now after the fall, we are prone to do family without reference to God. Adam, what happens in, his, in, his, uh, in the narrative there? He takes from his wife the fruit that was forbidden by God, right? They kind of remove God from the family picture. They divorce their heavenly husband at this moment. We will do relationship. We will do family on our own. It's about us. And if he's there or not, it really doesn't matter. So Adam takes from Eve. But what happens when they get God out of the picture? it all goes wrong. Fingers start pointing. The woman that you gave me made me do it. And this relationship that was once serene, we don't need God, we can just go and, ooh, I love you, this is great, turns into a battle. Because family that was supposed to be with reference to God is now oriented towards self. And this replicates in their offspring You remember Cain and Abel, their first children. So what happens? Well, long story short, Cain gets jealous of Abel and he kills him. So where Adam and Eve were supposed to fill the earth with with image bearers, with God's image reflecting the triune relation, reflecting the Father-Son-Spirit relation in themselves and throughout the earth, instead of filling it with that, they're filling it with The image of their father, like Jesus would tell the Israelites later, their father, the devil, who was a murderer from the beginning. So instead of unity and love and protection, it's self-orientation and violence. and Bitterness. Families like that? Filled with... Oftentimes family is the place where we have the, the deepest most painful wounds this is where we get closest typically with people and people hurt family kind of feel like that it's hard but God has not given up on humanity and he's calling in our psalm just like he did with work he's calling now for us to bring our families back into their proper context in him with reference to him. Bring your families back to the family of all families, the father of all fathers. Bring them back here. We see in our text there um, that children truly are a heritage from the Lord. It's his doing. He's involved. His family. He's at work. We see that they are a reward and a blessing from him. He wants to get involved in our families, and he's saying the only family that works is going to be the family that's from him, that's operating with reference to him. The particular emphasis in our text, it seems to me, is on the protection that family provides, right? Now, instead of self-orientation and exploiting one another, murdering your brother, we're protecting one another, honoring one another, caring for, covering one another. That's family with reference to God. You see this aspect of protection here when you look carefully. Children are what? What's the image that he uses? Like arrows. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior filling the father's quiver. We've got kind of... Military language going on here. Protection. And together they stand against their enemies at the gate. Children are, are, are families are standing together to honor and protect and care for one another against the enemies, against the slander. And this, of course, is now returning again to Solomon. This is what Solomon was. This is what Solomon was for David. If you read in Psalm 132, it's talking about um, what's going to come for David. It says, The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. Who's the son from David's body that was set on the throne? Solomon. He goes on and he says, David's enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. So Solomon would be used by God to answer, to to fulfill the promise made to David and to continue his legacy and come at his enemies. He would be a blessing to his father. He would protect his honor. He would serve and care. Right? Now, what about our families? As I was um, reflecting on this, and. Trying to to, to to consider our culture again. You can you can see our culture with work. How's our culture uh, when it comes to family? Especially what's going on in the news. Everything. I couldn't help but think about it. Um, this is a tragic. This is a tragic culture in regards to children and family. This is this is an abortion culture. We're reading about people that don't see their children as arrows in the hands of a warrior to be directed at their enemies. We're reading about a culture that treats its children as its enemies and directs the arrow at them. And we're seeing children worth more to us dead than alive, gaining profit from their slaughter. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that's in the air and maybe a little bit more PG is what I saw in Time Magazine just a few months back. Maybe you saw it too. Where they were, the cover, it was the cover story, they were observing and promoting the child-free marriage and how it's taken off in America. Children, get in the way of your life. And you know what? Married couples are getting on to this. They're realizing this. And so they're saying, you know what? Let's both have careers, make a lot of money, travel when we want, and say no to kids. The child-free marriage. Kids are not seen as an asset. They're not seen with reference to God and His family and, 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 and multiplying community to image and reflect Him. Him. Instead, they're seen with self-orientation. They get in the way of my life. And as long as that's the case, I don't want them in my life. I feel very confident that that's not where you guys are at. Although still, believe me, I feel children are hard, especially young kids, hard. But I haven't I haven't had old kids yet, I'm sure they're probably harder. So then they really hurt you and ah oh, you know. At least now I can say she's just a toddler, you know. She doesn't really mean it. <laughs> it's hard, right? It's hard. But I am sure of better things concerning you guys. But it is worth us asking, how are we doing with our families? Let's run through those prepositions again. Are we seeing our family as from him? Is it a good thing? Is family something that that, that emerged from him, that shows him? Is your family something you're going to burn bridges and I'm done? It's too hard. I don't want it. I don't want to contact that relative or whoever it might be. I don't want to do it. No. I'm in the family of God now. Hold on. Within the family of God, we're in all of these families and we're called to image him in them. And so I would encourage you, Is are you seeing family as from him, as a good thing, even when it's hard? Pressing in, right? And perhaps some of you, I realize not all of us have families, uh, at least immediate families, right? Some might want a spouse and it's not there. Some might want kids and they're not coming. And we're tempted to try to get God out of the picture and get what we want. I want family. I want a spouse. I'm going to find it, whether they're a believer or not. I want kids. You start getting bitter watching other people have children. I'll tell you something. The only family that works is the family that comes from the Lord. He he can open the womb, He can close the womb, He can bring the spouse, He can give you strength in your singleness. With reference to Him, it's from Him. Is our family with Him? Do you feel alone in raising your kids? You feel like, like God doesn't care as you're wiping another diaper, whatever it might be. Or are we engaging with Him? Are we talking with the Father as we're trying to be fathers or mothers? Is your family with Him? Is our family by Him? Maybe you do have those situations where you're struggling to forgive are you pressing into Christ and, and, and asking Him to help you forgive? It's, family's only going to work by His strength, right? Or if you're dad and you don't know what to do, how to lead, or where, where you're even supposed to take your children, are we pressing into Him? Show me, God. Show me what family is supposed to be. It came forth from you. You're leading it somewhere. Where? Help me. I want it to be by your strength. Is our family for him do we kind of take pride in the perfection of our kids i certainly can't chris knows that <laughs> do we try to perfect them so that other people will see is it for our our namesake is it about is family oriented towards self they exist for me are we murdering our brother or are we blessing our father Now, the commission of Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2 gives way to the curse in Genesis 3, right? God calls us to bring our work and family back to Himself. He's calling us even in this psalm. And He pictures that in Solomon who built the house of the Lord in the Lord's strength and who, who added to the house of David as, a, as an offspring that was a blessing and a heritage of the Lord. We know the story of Solomon, right? His sin his sin eventually led to the destruction of the temple that he built and to the division of his family and the splitting of his kingdom into two and the going of his people into exile. So Solomon was symbol and a shadow of what God is calling us to do, but he couldn't himself do it. But God kept the lineage of David alive and he would bring the true offspring. He would bring the one who would establish the true temple, namely Jesus Christ, who when he is standing before the Israelites, what does he say? Something greater than Solomon. Is here. And he would sing every line of this psalm with pitch perfection. I want you to consider this. I'm drawing a close here. But I hope it also is the height of my message. (laughs) Jesus is called the builder of God's house. Hebrews 3:13 He is the ultimate builder. He is the one who fulfills it. unless the Lord builds the house, the labor labors in vain. The Lord came and the Lord built the house. He's the one who watches over God's people and guards them to the end. He says this, John 17, 12, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. No vain labor here. No vain labor here in the building, in the watching. He refused to get bread without the Father's blessing. That anxious bread that comes without reference to the Lord. Remember? Satan, turn that stone to bread. You're hungry, right? No. No. I know I am beloved of the Father. I just got baptized and He proclaimed that over me. I don't need the bread of anxious toil. Remember what He says? My food is to do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Unless the Lord builds the house, I don't want to eat from its fruit. But where he's at, his will, where he's working, I am, and that nourishes my soul, and that's why he can sleep. Do you remember the storm where where they're all freaking out on the boat, and where's he? This is, Jesus is on a cushion. <laughs> I love that little detail. He's on a cushion, sleeping. You know, he's on a cushion. He's extra comfortable at this point. <laughs> or maybe he had a bad back. I don't know. He's sleeping in the midst of it. Why? I know I'm beloved of the Lord, my Father. He will care for me. I'm not worried about this. He was the Son of God, a child like an arrow in the hands of His Father, the divine warrior. And check this out. This arrow was shot straight from the bowstring of heaven through the heart of hell. He would stand with his father at the gate and defend his honor. Remember him at the end? Father, glorify your name. That's what he says, even when he's staring at the cup that's before him. He would defend his father's honor before his enemies. Though he sang this psalm perfectly. He would have to suffer the curse for our sin and rebellion if in fact we are to actually be able to be brought back to God. He came not just to kind of be flashy and show us what perfection looks like. He came to walk where we fell so that we could walk in the place where He fell. Through the cross, we live death, life. So what would happen to the Son of God? Though He sang this psalm perfectly, He would take on all of its negative points. He would take on the vanity of man's labor. I mean, Have you thought about this lately? Have you thought about this? That at the end of Christ's life, what does He have to show for it? What does He have to show for it? He's laboring. He is serving everywhere he goes. Miracles, kingdom proclamation, kingdom action. People are following. And at the end, where are they? Nowhere. Vanity. Every disciple, you strike the shepherd, the sheep scatter. Nowhere to be found. All will fall away, he tells them. Where's the fruit of my labor? It's vanity. The one who kept watch on all his people to the end had no one to keep watch with him when his enemies came. Remember what he tells the disciples, stay and watch. Stay up. And what did they do when they were supposed to be up? They were sleeping. And Jesus partake of some of the sleeplessness that, that is part of our curse when he's there not sleeping, crying out, looking at what's before him at the cross. And every disciple, keep watch. Uh, snoring sounds a little better right now. And where was his family? Where was his family? He didn't have a spouse. He didn't have kids. <laughs> and you think about this. The Worst of all, He was disinherited at the cross by His Father. The one who stood for His Father's honor at the gate of His enemies. God takes that arrow and aims it at His Son on the cross. He dies for us. He does all this for us. He does this to turn over the curse. And that is what makes the resurrection so essential to all of this. That's where vanity vain labor that the cross appeared to be proved to be eternally abiding he built the true temple of god and now living stones are being added to it the cornerstone him right and while he didn't have a physical family and a wife or children what are we told in his resurrection he becomes the firstborn of many brethren And when He pours out His Spirit on the day of Pentecost, what is that? But Galatians 4, Romans 8 tells us, the Spirit of adoption. That by Him now, in His victory, we are brought into the family of God. So what appeared vain in his labor is an everlasting temple. What appeared fruitless and forsaken in his family is a family that will one day encompass members from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He fulfills this psalm perfectly for us. And he invites us in to this work, in to this family. He makes a way for us to do our nine to five with reference to him. He makes a way for us to do our families with reference to him. He brings us back to God. He regains the commission given to Adam. Have you ever thought about the great commission? What is it? Go to all the earth and make disciples. What does that sound like? But go and fill the earth with my image. What happens when we make disciples of Christ renewed in his image? He's brought us into the family and the family business. And we can do it even as we labor, even as we subdue, have dominion, guard, keep, be fruitful, multiply. We do it while we rest in Him. He's gone before us. He's victorious. He has sung this psalm to us so we can sing it back to Him. And in our work now, we're temple building. Right? And in our families now, we're not just kind of working on our family. We're praying for their adoption into a greater family. If you don't have family or kids, don't worry. Scripture uses all sorts of language. Paul, called, Paul didn't have a family either in that sense. But he says, I'm your father in the faith. And we're brothers and sisters in the faith. We're called to something even greater now. And in all of our work and in all of our family, we're doing it with reference to Him. Sunday, the first day of the week, the day of His resurrection, changes everything about Monday. Let's pray. God, um, I know that was a lot and I'm just praying that the certain points that that you would want to speak to individuals here, you would highlight. We give the Holy Spirit a highlighter. We want you to show us what to focus on. I want you to speak to each individual here. Show them how they can relocate, reconnect their work and family into you and rest even while they do it because you have fulfilled it and gone ahead of us and you're doing it in and through us. We worship you, Jesus. Where would we be without you? We could never do this. But with you, we can do all things. Lord, we... Are amazed that we are um, called by you into this great story. Um, a story so much greater than we could even imagine. You don't want us just living these piddly little narratives, nine to fives, and self orientation. And, you want our work, you want our family connected to your great mission. And we thank you, Jesus, that you show the way and you give us strength. And I'm praying, Lord, that you would give strength this week. That you would, by the power of your Spirit, connect for us Sunday to Monday. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.